0: So grab your coffee or your wine or maybe a glass of water and let's dive in. Hey guys, thank you for joining for another episode of the Success Beyond the Lens podcast. I am Jen, your host, and today I am chatting with Caitlin... Magnuson, the millennial money expert. She is phenomenal. I have been working with her for over two years myself, and she teaches you how to automate your money and hit big financial goals while still buying your daily latte and your weekend brunch. Y'all, she is not your parents' money expert, and I have been following her and using her in my own business, like I said, for a couple of years now, and this girl walks what she talks and she knows her stuff frontwards and backwards. I'm ridiculously stoked to introduce you to Caitlin today. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on the episode. I'm so excited to dive into what you have. Oh,
1: no, I've been looking forward to this. So I'm really excited. And thank you for that glowing introduction.
0: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So tell me a little bit about you, about what you do, who you are, where you're at. You guys, I just have to tell you, she has chickens and she's like obsessed with them. If you see her brand photography, it includes her chickens. It's the best thing ever.
1: I will say Dory was a really good model and I'm actually having another shoot in a couple of weeks out at the new place. And I'm so excited because I have all the chickens out here and we're going to have multiple chickens in the next photo shoot. So it'll be a good thing. Yeah, I'm a chicken freak. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's fun. So about me, God, I have been in business in some way, shape or form for over 10 years now. And I, I was really like, if we go way back, I have always been really, really phenomenally good at math. Like numbers are just something that come really easily to me. And I ended up with this phenomenal opportunity in college at this little like hole in the wall business and was mentored by this brilliant, brilliant woman who taught me the majority of what really got me started, you know, how to do true bookkeeping, reconciliation, thinking outside of the box, not just going through the motions and working with small businesses to do things the right way, but also to do things the accurate way. I was working in a lot of e-commerce and apparel and retail where you have some really complicated costing because you actually have all the raw materials that go into like making a shirt or making a pair of pants and being able to track all of that and track the inventory was very important and took a little break from that for a bit went into corporate dealt with some sales tax um, taxability use tax god I mean that was that was a whole foray and a half and then ended up in another one doing um, payroll like really nitty-gritty behind the scenes payroll and all of those really worked cohesively together to give me the base that I have now. Um, Not only have I worked with hundreds of small business owners, but I've also had the corporate experience and the other backgrounds to really flesh out what I do so that I know, one, where my strengths are, and two, you know, where you need to go because I've been there myself as a business owner. You know, I've walked through getting to be an S Corp and growing my business, and I know where the landmarks are, but I've also, I've really had a very eclectic background that has served me really well for running my own business.
0: I love that. And I think, I think it's so interesting for entrepreneurs, especially to look back on their previous employment and see like what you take away from each job to bring into your own business. Cause I look at that over, you know, I worked in various businesses and and that kind of thing for 10 years, being a waitress and a mm-hmm. retail manager and a bank teller and all of the things. And I just take little bits and pieces from each of those jobs and now I have this, this business. And I can see, you know, even in like my customer service, I can see where I was like, I use the same type of verbiage or body language in mm-hmm. some cases, like I did as a waitress when I was 18. So it's interesting to, no, to like awesome. look back.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is. And it's you know, all of it felt so disjointed at the time. And my parents probably thought Mm. I was completely loony. They're like, why are you at another job? I'm like, well, one, I was bored. (laughs) And and, then you look back (laughs) on it and you're like, okay, this all like the universe, you know, God, whatever you had, like had an eye for where I was going with it. And was just like, yep, these are the things you need to be able to be successful. So now, God, I mean, I, I do a little bit of everything, uh, taxes, bookkeeping, financial, like forecasting and planning and financial strategy, um, personal finance. And really, I feel like my strong suit is when personal and business overlap. Um, I work with all exclusively entrepreneurs. I work with a few people that, you know, have very simple taxes and financial lives because they just have a nine to five and nothing else. (laughs) Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's, it's that sweet spot where you're like, how can my business support my life and Mm -hmm. where there's just a lot going on there. So I can bring a lot of value with like, well, if you're doing this in your business, you can then maximize this on your personal. And then they just, they work together much better that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know one of your, I don't know if it would be called like taglines, but maybe your catchphrases is that you're not your parents' money export expert. Can you let me know a little bit about what you mean by that? How it's influencing how you talk to your clients and their business? Yes. Uh, so,
1: <laughs> there I, I work with a lot of millennials, some Zoomers and some Gen Xers. But what you're going to see is that our world, our economic world, and the reality of our finances are so different from that of our parents or our grandparents. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of traditional financial advice doesn't necessarily hold true and can actually lead to a real shame spiral with a lot of people in my generation. I'm firmly in the millennial age range and, you know, student loans are just they're a thing. I don't have them, but I'm one of the outliers that doesn't have student loans. Well, yeah, Yeah. that's because back in the day you could afford to pay for college outright while working part time. And then you could buy a house on one income. You know, For example, my parents bought a house 12 years before me, a mile down the road from where my first house was, their house was a thousand dollars less than mine. And mine was a third of the size. And so they're 12 years, 12 years. Yeah. And so your, your, your money just doesn't go as far. And my parents had always told me, you know, Oh, always plan. If you get married, like live off of one income, that's not realistic for the majority of people. So many people Mm -hmm. have to, you know, if you have a family and if you don't have children, you have to have two incomes, even if you're not living in a high cost of living area. And that is where, you know, the traditional financial advice of like set money aside for retirement, like do your thing, clock in at your job, go work for 40 years, and then you can retire and have social security. Like, yeah, that may have worked for parents and grandparents, but that's not necessarily like I, I don't plan on having social security when I'm older. If it's there, great. And that's what I work with a lot of my clients on. I look at it as like a potential bonus, but I'm not counting on that. So for me, that looks really different. And I also don't want to work until I'm 70. I, I may, but I don't want to have to work. And so I'm working to Create financial freedom for myself by having the options. I have alternative investments. Like, yes, I'm putting money into tr- traditional retirement accounts, but you can't draw on those until you're 59 and a half without penalties. So, there's a whole bunch of different strategies that I implement that are not there traditional generally in higher earning areas, because like say, you know, if you're a millionaire and you're putting money into retirement and you max your retirement out, you're like, okay, I have extra money. Where does that need to go? Well, instead we're going to flip that. And we're going to say, if you want to have a chance at retiring or at being able to cut your money before 59 and a half, we need to actually think like that millionaire and have money in other investments. And maybe you have a nine to five and you have a side hustle. That's really common. I'd say probably half of my clients have that. So how can we maximize that? Whether you're planning to stay at your day job or you're planning to quit your day job to go full time. And I have a mix of both, but like where, you know, so that may mean you're like outsourcing. That may mean that you're not going to become an escort, but what can we do for retirement? What can we do for future you? Whereas like having a second job outside of that, like that's not something my parents would have ever thought of doing. Mm -hmm. And like, they looked at me again, like I was crazy. They're like, why are you running this business? Why are you putting the stress on yourself? Well, because frankly, I feel like for most of us, if you ever want to get ahead and really build wealth. You, you kind of have to have that going for a bit. And it's just right. a state of
0: affairs. That's so good. I think it's really interesting to to hear just a total spin on, or a 180 rather, on what we normally hear. Like my parents grew up, and I, and I know you've talked about this a little bit in your group, you know, with Dave Ramsey's philosophy on money. And I look at how I've managed or mismanaged money over the last you know, a few years and when I implement more of the things that you're talking about versus, you know, trying to scrimp and scrap and save and, and pay off and all of this, I, my credit's better. My, my like quality of life feels better. Cause I'm not, I'm not beating myself up over, or even like you said, like a shame spiral, just because I want to go get a coconut latte.
1: Your nails done
0: Yeah, yeah, or my nails done.
1: Yeah, no, and that—that's one of the big things that I differ on with Dave Ramsey. So Dave Ramsey is a firm believer that debt, you know, is really kind of the root of all. Shackles are evil in a lot of regards, and I, I am all for finding the system that works for you. So, if, you know, anyone mm-hmm. listening is works with Dave Ramsey's programs, like absolutely. If, if it works for you, like I am not going to knock it for that because there are so many different ways to get to the same end goal. But I'm a firm believer that you really can have your cake and eat it too. And in my opinion, it is so much easier to make an extra thousand dollars a month than it is to try and save thousand dollars or cut a thousand dollars in expenses from your budget because you hit a point where you just can't cut any more out. And then you're focused on like, Oh, I can't have that. It's like dieting, you know? Oh, I can't have that thing. I can't have that sweet. Well, if you ever have gone on a diet, what do you want more than anything? Food and candy and sweets. And it's all you can think about. And it's the same way when you put yourself on a really strict budget, it's miserable. And for a lot of us, if you have credit card debt, student loans, and a mortgage, I'm going to be really honest. That's not getting paid off in the next two years. So if you're looking at something that's sustainable, it needs to be sustainable in the long term. Can you sustain that strict of a budget? And I'm actually, writing a really controversial article this next week for Thrive Global uh, about debt and about how budgeting is actually keeping you broke because you're focusing on scarcity and lack mentality. And it, it, it just really, it make, you bring into your life more of what you focus on. So if you're focusing on not having enough and on decreasing, then you're not looking to expand your income and to look for opportunities because you're so focused on contracting.
0: Oh my goodness. That's so good. Kayla, I need you to like pull that out and make it a billboard. <laughs> um, I often talk to Kayla in my podcast, even while the audience is listening, they just, they just get to know Kayla throughout the process.
1: I love that. No, that's fantastic.
0: Okay, so I want to dive into um, really the meat and potatoes of what we're going to be chatting about today. I wanted to hear your philosophy behind that because I think it's so, so important for someone who's listening to this episode to not only understand what the topic is, and our topic is going to be photography do's and don'ts for taxes, but I want you guys to understand where Caitlin's coming from. Who she is as a person, because this is someone. When it comes to managing your money, you really want in your corner. So, someone who, now that you've talked to her, heard with her, listened to her for a little bit, um, you know, you guys can can really listen to what she has to say because she is one hundred percent. Just wanting you to bring your business to the next level, hit the goals that you're wanting to hit, whether that's building a a brand that you retire from or you retire early from or sell, or even if it's something that you just want to keep as a side hustle while you work your corporate job. So, uh, Caitlin, let's go ahead and dive into some easy photography do's and don'ts for taxes.
1: Okay. So all of this, I'm going to preface by saying, please, if you are not where I lay things out. Do not beat yourself up about like, Oh God, I I, could, I didn't know that. I can't believe that. Like you could only do what you know. So my biggest thing that I recommend is like, know better, do better. So if you're here and you're listening to this, obviously you're trying to improve yourself. And I think we're all working on self-improvement. So take what you can from this and implement where you can and start rolling things out. But please don't beat yourself up because so much of this information, if you've Googled it, or if you've talked to friends, you're going to have competing information everywhere. And it it really can just like make you feel like you have Tweety birds flying around your head. It's a mess. (laughs) So we're going to make it really simple. And like the, the top actionable steps you can take that really move the needle forward. And the first one is if you don't have a separate business bank account or even a separate account that you dedicate to your business, number one, if you did nothing else this entire year, that would get you so much further in your goals to grow your business and to be able to understand if your business is profitable. Because for sole proprietors and for single member LLCs, you don't legally have to have a separate bank account. The IRS looks at your business income as part of your personal income. So there's nothing legally wrong with it. However, it makes it a mess come tax time because I had a dear, dear client that had 12 accounts, you know, between credit cards and PayPal and bank account and everything else Uh that were personal and business. She took God, probably a week and a half plus going through line by line and highlighting all of her business expenses, and even then, you she probably missed some because if you don't know that it's for sure business, you have to err on the side of being safe because it's right. better to not claim it than to get of it and not back it up. So, separating it and running everything through all expenses, all income through one account will. If you ever work with anyone that does your taxes, we'll make them like want to just kiss your cheeks because it is so much better than trying to like hodgepodge it together. So number one. And with that, if you are a single member LLC, you, if you don't have a separate bank account, you actually waive a lot of those inherent liability protections if you don't have the separate bank account. So people don't know that they're like, Oh yeah, I'm an LLC. Everything's fine. My personal assets are protected. Well, they're only protected so much. Um, like if you actually keep your business and treat your business as a separate entity from your personal. So again, even though legally there's nothing wrong, if you were to be sued and you were to be keeping all of your business transactions in a personal account, it then can say that you have quote pierced the corporate veil, which means that your personal assets are not protected in the way that you think they're protected by having an LLC. So. If you're going to have an LLC, it's even more important that you have a separate bank account. So that's, I mean, kind of part 1A and 1B, but the, that's the biggest thing that you could do to move the needle forward. The next one would be keeping receipts. And this, I'm not saying keeping the physical receipts. Please, dear God, keep digital <laughs> receipts unless you love keeping the paper receipts um, because the paper receipts fade and they fade very quickly, especially if they're crumpled up in your wallet. Ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> So with that, you there are like three different options to keep receipts. You can keep them in your accounting software. You can keep the one well, other four. Keep them in your accounting software. You can scan them. You can keep the physical copies, or you can put them in Google Drive. All of these require, for the most part, taking pictures and digitizing them. Google Drive is the lowest cost option. However, if you're looking to grow your business, and this will lead us into point three in a minute, having accounting software set up is really important, um, especially with all of this you know, corona craziness that we've had. I have clients that have been trying to apply for the PPP or the EIDL, and the clients that have accounting software set up, it took us 15 minutes the clients that didn't have accounting software set up, it took like hours because you have to go pull that financial information, create financial reports. And that's, that's just one really small example. If you're looking to buy a house, if you're looking to really know your numbers and assess your business health, having accounting software makes a really big difference. And when I say accounting software, I mean something like zero or QuickBooks. And for those of you listening, zero is X E R O. I don't get compensated by either of them. I wish I did. Um, zero is hands down my favorite quickbooks is the one that everyone knows about and if quickbooks works for you hands down again like we talked about before with dave ramsey if it works for you use it both of them have very similar functionalities i am a firm believer that zero one has connectivity to more softwares and two is much more difficult to mess up if you were doing your own bookkeeping but they will both get the job done they both have receipt capturing functions, meaning that you can take a picture and you can actually tie that receipt to your expense in that software. So if you're audited, you could literally give them a login for the auditor if they needed it. And you could be like, here you go. And they could see the scanned copy of every single receipt that you've put in with the expenses that it's associated with, which is fantastic.
0: Wow. Okay. So let me, Um, let me ask you while we're on this, I Okay. So I talk a lot about like CRMs. It makes your life easier, blah, blah, blah. So would something like Dubsado, HoneyBook, 17 Hats, like would that be something that our listeners could use for accounting software?
1: That is a great question. So I call those accounting light. Um, my, they are better than nothing, but they don't allow you to, and this may have changed, but as of the last time I've been in there, which was like a month ago, they don't allow you to reconcile and they don't allow you to do journal entries. And both of these can be really, and frankly, the reporting features can be a little mm, depending. I think they're great for CRM purposes. I do not think they're great for accounting. So normally what I recommend and so you're looking generally at QuickBooks or zero. You're looking at about $30 a month. It's not the end of the world. Yes. I understand it's, it's an expense, but we as service-based business owners have such lower overhead than traditional brick and mortars that I feel mm, like people will get, mm. you know, hung up on like, Oh my God, it's another yes. But like you don't have rent unless you have, you know, an office, like the, the barrier to entry is so much lower. Um, uh, and $30 is not the end of the world. Now granted $30 a month. If you're not using it, obviously not worth it, but my recommendation is to normally use both of them in conjunction. So most of my photography clients use Dubsado with Zero, or, you know, HoneyBooks with QuickBooks, or they use 17 hats or a couple of them use, I think it's Tabe. Yeah, um, Tave. In conjunction. Yeah. So they do. And the ones that have me do their books, we, I basically connect, they do everything. They don't touch their accounting software. Um, I mess with their accounting software. And then I have ones that do it themselves or that do their invoicing. Um, Some of them want to keep their invoicing in their CRM, which I totally respect, but essentially to really feel like a... A legitimate business, you need to have both eventually. Would I love for Dubsado or HoneyBook to come out with a better accounting option? Yes, but that's also not their primary focus. Their primary focus is delivering a really bang up CRM option. And they do a great job with that. Awesome. Yeah. So with receipts, one thing to remember, um, anything $75 or over the IRS wants a copy of. And when I say receipt, I mean an invoice, I mean a receipt, I mean a sales order. I don't mean like the line transaction on your bank statement, because if the IRS goes and they look at that, they're going to be like, Oh great. You went to Amazon. How do we know what you bought was business related or you went to target? Was that groceries or was it a calendar for your office? So that's where the receipt or the sales order holds more information. So $75 or more is the rule of thumb. Um, you want to have a receipt when possible. That does not mean that if the IRS comes through and audits you, you're going to automatically like you're, you're not going to jail because you claimed something, and you didn't have the receipt. The worst case scenario here, because I get asked this a lot, the worst case scenario is if they deem that it's not a justifiable, justifiable business expense, You just wouldn't be able to take that deduction for that year that they were auditing, and you would owe some back taxes because you would have a little bit higher taxable income. So, this is not like, as long as you're not knowingly and intentionally trying to defraud the government, you are not like, it's not as scary as everyone makes it out to be, but keep your receipts when possible, especially for photographers, travel and meal expenses. And travel and meal expenses do not have a dollar threshold. The IRS wants receipts for all of those because those are the areas in which fraud can be committed the easiest. Mm -hmm. So you want to think about justifying those because like, you know, of course, I want to go to Tulum and write it off as a business expense. And for photographers, you absolutely can, assuming you have a wedding or an engagement session or something that you're doing there, but you just want to have justification. And justification can be as simple as like, here's my airline ticket, here's my food, and here's the contract for the wedding that I did while I was there and the pictures, like, bam. That's the really nice thing is photographers do have like great proof that they were in the place that they said they were at.
0: Okay, that's so then like
1: something that a lot of people don't
0: know. Yeah. So then if they're talking about travel and the wedding is on Saturday and that's the day that they're contracted for, then they decide to, you know, get there Monday and spend a week. How does that work as far as taxes go? Do they get the week because they're supposed to be there Saturday? (laughs) Good. That is, it's
1: such a good one. There are just th- things that I get asked all the time that I don't always remember to, to bring up, but no, that is a really common one because we've all done that. I do it with a lot of business mm-hmm. conferences too. If I'm in like, Chicago, I'll tack on extra days. So the lovely thing is the IRS understands and they're not like, they're not unreasonable with this, but you get a day before and a day after your event. So for example, in this case, if you're only contracted for one day and it's Saturday in this example, you get Friday and you get Sunday that things can be a write-off. So regardless, say you're flying, we're going to say that it's Tulum because it's just easy. So you're flying to Tulum, your flight regardless is a write-off because you would have had to go for the event. Um, Your hotel or accommodations are a write-off Friday night, saturday night sunday night and then your food and like taxi to and from the airport those three days would also be a write-off now the question that i'll get sometimes is like oh well what about um you know i went to a museum no you don't get to write the museum off unless you were taking your couple to the museum to go do something specific for the shoot then yes but like if you were going to go you know sightsee to play tourist those things you need to be using your discretion here because again. Everything that you're doing is building a case to tell the IRS if you're audited, like, yeah, this is, this was a valid business expense and here's why. So they don't care if you want to go, like, if you want to bring a spouse, your spouse can go and your spouse can stay in your hotel room or your Airbnb, even if you were just there for those three nights. And it's still the exact same write-off because there's no increased cost to you there. But in that example, like your meals, you'd only be writing off half of your meals because your spouse is not a write-off you know, right. unless they're a videographer or a part of your team, in which case it would just be like taking an associate with you. So you can tack that on and whatever would like, basically you can tack personal onto the beginning or the end, but whatever would have been required if you took those personal days out is what you get to write off essentially. So like the meals the day before the meals, the day of the meals, the day after transport to and from the airport and then accommodations for those nights.
0: Awesome. Okay. Perfect. What's the next one? Yeah. Great question. Thank you. Yeah, no,
1: that, that, well, because, and that's one of the beautiful things, like so many photographers are able to travel the world and, you know, get paid mm-hmm. to do so and able to make the most of it. So yeah, absolutely. And by all means, like it's not an, it doesn't make you a higher audit risk. If you stay for personal things, just make sure you're keeping your receipts and you're documenting things. And by having the contract, having the photos and having receipts, like you're, you're in a great position at that point. So, and that's
0: just, that's just sure another, that. another reason why contracts are so daggone important.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it legitimizes everything, not only protecting you and your you know, client, but also like legitimizing your business activities for tax right. purposes. Yeah. And that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, so I was just completely lost my train of thought. On <laughs> Last one was going to be, uh, Oh, mileage, Sorry. mileage. No, you're fine. I had it and it just like, but mileage is a big one. So with travel and this kind of dovetails off of that, one of the biggest write-offs you can have as a photographer is mileage. And I want you to understand that there are some really small, but important sort of caveats to understand with it mileage is when you're taking your own personal vehicle or a spouse I mean it doesn't it doesn't matter when you're taking your personal vehicle and you're driving to and from a client meeting, a client session, a wedding, a continuing education thing, meeting with an associate shooter, any of those things that are business legitimate business expenses, you can take your mileage and what I mean by that is you are going to track your miles driven. There are plenty of apps uh, mile IQ. There's, there's so many quick, quick with self-employed has one. I don't love quick self-employed for other reasons, but their mileage tracking is great. They're playing, or you can use an Excel spreadsheet. I don't normally recommend that for photographers because there's so many more trips being made for someone service-based like me. It's great. Um, cause I don't have nearly as many, but if you are taking mileage, you cannot deduct your gas and your vehicle expenses. However, and I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. When you are traveling and you are renting a car, that is the exception. You have your rental car price as a write-off. If you have to get insurance, you have your rental car insurance and you have your gas and you have your tolls. All of those are legitimate business write-offs, but you don't take mileage on those. When you travel and you take a rental car, you don't deduct mileage. When you take a personal car, you take mileage because you are better off 99.9% of the time taking the standard mileage deduction, which has been anywhere between 54 cents and I think 58 and a half cents over the last several years, because that includes gas, wear and tear on your vehicle and just general maintenance. So it's significantly higher because we're not actually paying, especially right now, we're not actually paying 58 cents a mile in gas fees right now. So you can actually, I mean, most photographers have like five to 12,000 miles they drive a year. You're looking at like a $7,000 tax deduction. If you do the standard mileage write-off, like it is a huge one, but when you do it, the goal is to track your personal miles, track your business miles, and then track where you started at the beginning of the year. If you don't know where you started at the beginning of the year, don't freak out. Look at your mileage, at your oil change closest, and you can approximate. The biggest thing is that you are tracking and can verify business miles because that's where the deduction comes in.
0: Wow, that's crazy. I didn't realize it would be that high of a deduction, but that, that totally makes sense. Yeah, it's huge. It's it's literally the single for most photographers.
1: That and uh, potentially like associate photographers, or if they upgrade from Canon to Sony one year, those are like the top three biggest expenses that I see, or like write-offs, equipment upgrades, contract labor, and mileage. But mileage is almost always the biggest one.
0: Wow. Okay. And All right. So do you have another do for us?
1: Those are really the biggest do's. The biggest don'ts are a much smaller list. And the don'ts are don't treat your business like it's your personal, like piggy bank, treat your business like it's a separate business. And like we talked about by setting up a separate bank account, by setting up an accounting software, you are able to look at your money making activities and to also, and registering your business would be you know, one of the dues, but that's not, that's not as vital as having a separate bank account because again, it lets you separate that data out to see like, Oh, maybe you thought you booked a bunch of elopements this year, but in reality, most of your income came from portrait sessions or family sessions. You don't know that until you sit. I mean, you can have a gut feeling, but it's amazing how often people mm-hmm. are like, Oh,
0: wow.
1: I didn't realize I made that much more or that much less because your gut feeling, just because it's something you may talk about more with couples or with, you know, clients, doesn't mean it's your biggest money maker. And so that's a really big thing to be able to assess on like a quarterly and an annual basis is like where are and what are you like doing the most? Because if you don't love doing what you're doing or you know where you're tweaking your business, it lets you have the data to make the changes to love what you're doing more.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think it's so important that, and I see it so often especially with photographers where when they're not doing what they really love, whether it, you know, they think they should be a wedding photographer, but they love newborn sessions or vice versa. And then they're just, they've been at it for a couple of years and they're just like, I'm done. I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. I can't do this. I have, you know, there's no joy, blah, blah, blah. You know, it goes back to. Right. That is very real. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that. No, that's, okay. So, those so are I really, have, yeah. So here's a huge question that I see pop up in groups over and over and over again. Can, or maybe not can, but should businesses accept Venmo as a payment for services?
1: Uh, so no, they should not, but most of them do. There is now, I believe Venmo for business, Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, but the reason I use Venmo for bi- most times, like under the table kind of is because there's no fees or there's, you know, 1% yeah. fees, depending on like, what you're doing, but Venmo for business charges fees. So you're better off in my opinion. So one, don't use Venmo unless you have to use it. Don't be paying your second shooters that way. And I I could like rant on that forever. Legitimize it. Treat your business like a business. Venmo is for when you go out to brunch with your friends and you need to split the bill. Venmo is not for your business. Um, Venmo means, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but you're, you're, you're playing small because it says that you are trying to save what you can on fees. And I know I I have heard people rant about credit card fees. Mm -hmm. You know what? We're going to go back to the, you're a business. That is a cost of doing business. And if the 3% approximately that you pay drives you insane, raise your prices a hundred dollars. Right. You're, you're going to more than compensate for that, but like understand that it's a cost of doing business and you get to deduct it from your taxes in the year. You're not getting, you know, taxed on the total amount you're getting taxed on the profit after your expenses that's a legitimate expense and it is a huge convenience factor in this day and age to accept credit card payments and to make it as easy as possible for your clients to give you money like you you are in business to hopefully do something you love to do something really cool in the world and to make money right like make it simple
0: yeah well and i think if if you do want to avoid fees if that is like make it or break it then the way around that is to have them send checks and then you lose the convenience. Yeah. Or bank transfers. Yeah. So that's a, that's some food for thought.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you can do, I have one photographer that doesn't accept credit cards because she's adamant about it, but there are some, you have, it takes more time to get payments, you know? And then occasionally she has a check that bounces and there's, there are some additional headaches that come along. So it's really just picking what matters most to you.
0: Right. Absolutely. Okay. So if you, you've given us so many good actual tips that we can implement today. And I think I already know the answer to this because you've already mentioned it like four times, but I always ask what tip if they did anything today, would you want our listeners to implement?
1: Number one would be to open a separate bank account and run everything through there. Everything else Receipts would be the next one, keeping receipts, but yeah, everything, everything else falls below that. I need to keep so receipts. So separate bank accounts <laughs> and you open one online. Huh?
0: I need to keep receipts. I'm awful. I know. I'm awful with receipts. Now big purchases. I'm, I have like all of those receipts, but I don't think I realized it was $75 or more. So yeah, I'll, uh, gotcha. need to work on yeah. that. <laughs> like subscriptions
1: you know if you have like an adobe subscription or something else i don't normally upload those receipts because i know i can go log in and grab all of my invoices if i were to be audited i keep a lot of my receipts for all the weird one-off thing
0: that makes sense yeah that totally makes sense okay so i have three quick fire questions to wrap up our day and they never end up being quick fire because i'm not fast all right so (laughs) what is your favorite quote
1: Oh God. So basically anything by Amanda Francis. Um, Amanda Francis is like the queen of money mindset. And she was actually really triggering for me for a long time. Cause so I was like, who, who is this? Like, you know, gorgeous blonde woman that lives in Malibu. Like who does she think she is? And then I was like, <laughs> oh, if it, if it rubs you the wrong way, it's probably cause there's something for me to learn from this. And she's fantastic. Like I have, completely done a one hundred and eighty, but like her, I'm sure she has limiting beliefs around money. I know she does as she works through, but like, Holy crap, her, like she has one. That's like, I am worthy. I am confident. I am rich. I am loved. I am kind. Um, and I, so I guess I would say more of her affirmations over her quotes. And I know there was one that I had sent to you, but of course I don't remember it now.
0: Uh, it is. Cause but, I love it. It is. I get to have more than enough always.
1: Oh yes. Yes.
0: That's so good. And that's,
1: it's so no it is she's she is such a ray of sunshine and i always watch her stories because there's some really really good stuff in there i'll
0: have to check her out i've not heard of her before if i would if you would have told me who is or would have asked me who the queen of money would be it would have been and i'm gonna mess up her name is jen is it sincero sincero I don't know, Sin- Chiro, but yes, I know exactly who yeah. you mean. She's yeah, she's great as I just, well. Yeah, she is. She's good. I'll have to check out Amanda Francis though, because I need some rays of sunshine in my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then what is your favorite business
1: tool? HubDoc or Zero. And HubDoc is something that I use with clients that allows me to securely transmit files. That it's got like bank level encryption. It integrates with a bunch of things. It makes my life really easy. Um, but then zero really for me, uh both for me and clients. It is just it's such an easy, simple tool to use, and it's basically like a souped up Excel sheet. And that makes me really happy because I love <laughs> Excel.
0: I do not love Excel, (laughs) so I'm glad that's why I have you because I don't like this stuff. (laughs) I I
1: can live in Excel.
0: Oh gosh, I can't. I can't even get like a couple of columns to stay put while the other ones move. So I'm awful. (laughs) It's bad. Okay, and then if you and I were to go out for drinks, what would you be drinking?
1: Ooh, okay. That's a really good question. I have several options. One, if we, depending on the caliber of restaurant, so like my go-to would either be a cider or a whiskey sour, Mm -hmm. Um, but if we're at a really good Mexican restaurant, I am a sucker for a very expensive margarita made with fresh fruit juice.
0: Ooh, I like this, like- specificness of this
1: (laughs) i am i don't drink often but when i drink i drink really good drink
0: that makes sense i don't drink often either and i normally end up still drinking like smirnoff
1: (laughs) um i did have a white cloth for the first time a couple weeks ago and it was actually it wasn't bad i was like oh okay i can see where like the hype is around these
0: but yeah yeah, i just i couldn't my reputation can't handle it (laughs) (laughs) I think my, my husband's doing like this whole low carb thing and he is a craft beer fanatic. Um, and he, he tries or he tried trulys, which are similar to White Claws and he liked them pretty well. So I think we're going to be having some of those in our house, which is fine by me, I guess.
1: (laughs) No, I cannot imagine doing, I'm not a beer drinker, but doing low carb and like being a beer drinker is like,
0: Oh (laughs) Oh yeah, it's, it's killing him. It's so funny. All right, Caitlin, thank you.
1: So go ahead. Oh no, no. I was just gonna say, like, my my dad is a beer drinker and he's given it up and he just he was like, Yeah, I don't miss it anymore. Um, but no, this has been this has been so much fun. I love doing podcasts. They're just they make me so happy and like you're just always so fantastic.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. I am really, really excited. I'm so glad we were able to connect. You gave some amazing nuggets for our audience, and you are going to be coming onto my Instagram stories and answering some questions, right?
1: I am.
0: Yay. Okay. We will be looking forward to that. Thank you guys so much for joining again and we will catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode on the Success Beyond the Lens podcast. If you love what you heard today, could you do me a favor? Could you grab a screenshot of the episode and then send it over to your Instagram stories and tag me at Success Beyond the Lens Podcast. I love hearing from our audience to see what you guys are loving. And if you really love me, if you could go over to iTunes and subscribe and leave us a review, I would appreciate it so much. Can't wait to talk to you guys next week.